looking to start a podcast but don't know where to begin? Look no further. The team at Dodge Media Productions has 20 years of experience as podcast listeners and observing the industry and eight years experience in podcast production. We can help you take your podcast from idea to fruition and we'll make the process seamless and easy. We'll help you with everything from recording and editing to hitting the charts on Apple Podcasts. So what are you waiting for? Contact us today and let's get started. DodgeMediaProductions.com You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 158, and we are going to talk about the 1995 movie Clueless. We watched this one on Paramount Plus with a subscription, and um, I still need to cancel that, so don't let me forget. (laughs) Except that, in addition to this, we are now able to watch Colin from Accounts on Paramount. Mm, That is a very nice um, side benefit. If you do have that Paramount Plus, I highly recommend Colin from Accounts. And the actress of that uh, was seen most recently in the now canceled show American Auto with Anna Gostar. Is she English? Or She's Australian. And so she had an English accent in American Auto. Huh. Interesting. All right. This is Clueless was directed by Amy Heckerling, who also did 1982's Fast Times at Ridgemont High and 1989's Look Who's Talking. Luke who's talking was apparently she wrote after her experience of being pregnant and having her child, who I believe is a girl. It stars Alicia Silverstone, Stacey Dash, Brittany Murphy, Paul Rudd, Donald Faison, Brecken Meyer, Dan Hedaya, Wallace Shawn from The Princess Bride. Inconceivable. The DP is Bill Pope, who did The Matrix. Spider-Man 2, and the 2016 version of The Jungle Book. Amy also wrote this film, and it was filmed in Van Nuys, Beverly Hills, North Hollywood, Long Beach, Sherman Oaks, at the Westfield Fashion Square Mall, and in, is it Grenada? Granada Hills? Granada Hills. It's a Paramount Pictures film. And the synopsis is shallow, rich, and socially successful Cher is at the top of her Beverly Hills High School's pecking scale. Seeing herself as a matchmaker, Cher first coaxes two teachers into dating each other. It's interesting that they put that in the synopsis because to me that's just like... That's a pretty small plot point. Yeah. (laughs) Because more what she does is she does that but then she realizes that she can kind of be manipulative i guess and so she takes ty Brittany murphy's character and tries to like give her a makeover it's almost like a a 48 hours type i mean she doesn't make a bet with somebody but she kind of wonders aloud can i change someone's social standing we'd mentioned off air that this was Mean Girls for the previous generation. And obviously, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler were familiar with this film when they wrote Mean Girls. But it's, yeah, the fairly common kind of, I think you can trace all the way back to Pygmalion, 
where the the gutter snipe kind of girl who's just sloppy and has poor grammar is turned into uh, you know basically a swan right the ugly duckling kind of thing so that's i guess yeah that plot with the two teachers is there to establish that Cher, which is Alicia Silverstone's character, had, learns that she has this capability to manipulate relationships. Yeah, Amy said that she used Jane Austen's novel Emma for the plot and the characters and the themes, and but set it in the modern time, and she just remembered the novel that she read when she was a teenager and thought, what if we like redid it? But as we were watching it, I was thinking of your obsession with my fair lady and thinking it kind of had those, like like you were saying the swan. And so I'm a little now going down the road mentally of what if we remade this film, but it kept the dialogue exactly the same, but set it in Jane Austen's era (laughs) with all the costumes in the finery. (laughs) That would be awesome. (laughs) two taglines for you and then you can share your pickup line with me tag me the first one is sex clothes popularity is there a problem here okay pretty good you like it yeah i think it captures it all okay and then the second one is sex clothes popularity whatever okay that might be more accurate but i think the first one is a better tagline in one interview with amy she said that there was some article was written about how she ruined language for teenagers and she stands by whatever she says it's perfect whenever <laughs> you need to use it it is the perfect like kind of word to throw in and so she's she is doesn't feel bad about that one. whatever <laughs> we also spoke off air sorry guys we try to save it for the pod but every once in a while we just can't help ourselves i didn't this so this movie came out it was in my early 20s was i even oh i wasn't a mom yet but i was 95 i was married yeah so we had just gotten married in 94 and i don't obviously it probably wasn't for me it was for um the younger you know people five maybe even 10 years younger than me i didn't like share I thought she was vapid. I thought she was materialistic. I thought she was rude. I think I probably associated more, thought myself more like the Thai character. And so the idea that I felt like Cher was just using her and, and even, you know, like when she, when she tries to bring Wallace Shawn's character and the female teacher's character together, it's not because she wants to introduce two lonely people so that they have their person it's so that the wallace sean's character will look at her grade more favorably if he's in love so mm-hmm. she, so any of her actions were not altruistic it was for her own benefit and her own and so like even i, I was a little put off that throughout the course of the movie she kind of ends up having eyes for her stepbrother and yes they're not related but yet you kind of, and I think they kind of explained it like he wasn't in the house ever. Like, I think he was her, her ex stepmom's son that kind of just came home for college. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't grow up together, but I still kind of got a little bit of a creepy. Yeah, I, I, that might, 
that particular part might go under the couldn't be made today um, <laughs> plot line. Yeah, I think the problem that we both had with the character of Cher is that she's not redeemable and she isn't redeemed at the end of the film. I think she needs a visit from the ghost of Christmas present. But yes. anyway, then <laughs> it's exacerbated by her father, played by Dan the great Hedaya. character actor Dan Hedaya, encourages this kind of behavior, her negotiating her grades and manipulating and all these things. One thing that kind of fell over for me was they establish Paul Rudd's character. By the way, I was stunned. I'd forgotten if I ever knew that Paul Rudd was in this because he wasn't Paul Rudd when he was in it. But his character is supposed to be socially aware and basically have a soul. And he's helping Dan Hedaya with his court case. And we don't know the specifics of the court case, but we can presume from the ostentatious wealth of the mansion and the general dialogue that this is not necessarily a good thing, right? So we really don't see a lot of redeeming qualities in Cher or the rest of the Horowitz family. And you kind of would expect there to be a bit more for the Paul Rudd character, but there wasn't. And as we also talked about off air, I didn't see a transformative arc for Cher. She ends up with her stepbrother, again, a little awkward, but it's not because she changes that I can recall. And I would say, I think I saw this movie on VHS. I'm positive I didn't see it in the theater, but I really didn't remember very much of this at all. So it's almost like, you know, there's just maybe a few clips that are popular that have been played again. But this was for me, I didn't really connect even with the Thai character who you would think would be the audience surrogate as, you know, just a plain girl from New Jersey. Now, fun fact, apparently Brittany Murphy was herself actually from Jersey. So she presumably can do a realistic Jersey accent. But even that was a bit of a caricature and I never really found myself pulling for her. Probably the character I was most sympathetic to was Brecken Meyer's interpretation of Ted Theodore Logan from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, <laughs> which is a, probably a better film, but he was very excellent, right? <laughs> and he had the, the, the head bob and the voice and the hair, and I just totally could see him in Bill and Ted. <laughs> and Elisa Donovan's character, Amber, I never... Yeah. Like, she was supposedly the villain. Yeah, are they enemies? Are they friends? I, I could never tell. I never saw her do anything horrible. No. I saw Cher do far more horrible, right. rude things than yeah. I ever saw her do. Yet she was supposedly Cher's rival in the school. Yeah, that was maybe that was established and got cut out in the edit. But mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't I didn't didn't see that. So one thing I did mention was to me, the character of Christian has a very obvious, uh, you wouldn't call it a heel turn, you call it a swish turn. When he shows up at that, that the, um, dance. the dance, suddenly the character is much more stereotypically gay, which I thought was a little odd that we didn't have clues before. And in that sense is a little reminiscent kind of of Heather's, right? And, and there's a line in there uh, where she says, he had a thing for Tony Curtis, which again, for us old-time Hollywood types, is probably a, a good reference, but so dated, I do wonder if that would would actually uh, translate, right? Right. 
I think this film being from the early 90s definitely had all that opulence and a little bit of carryover from the 80s of the neon, especially in the credits. There's a lot of like bright yellow, bright pink, bright blue. And that kind of came over with the costuming. So according to As If, a book by Jen (laughs) Cheney celebrating the 20th anniversary of the film, though many people would think that the costuming budget must have been expensive, it was quite modest for a blockbuster because the designer wanted the girls to look like mall rats. So she didn't want them to have like, you know, New York Fashion Week outfits. So the 63 outfits that... Uh, that share wears throughout the film only cost $200,000 only. Um, yeah. <laughs> the biggest costume expense was that infamous plaid Jean-Paul Gaultier outfit that she wears in the opening scene, the yellow plaid, mm-hmm. um, an outfit that Alicia got to keep along with a lot of her other outfits from the film. And she told Entertainment Weekly magazine that she gave most of them away to charity except for that one iconic outfit. Well, credit to the costume designer because Cher wears an admirable amount of plaid and pleated skirts. (laughs) Yes. They were probably going, you know, that schoolgirl kind of vibe. I wonder when Britney's I Did It Again came out, like how how closely related are those are those two dates? The constant uh, gag of the nose jobs. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, um, I think I did see like a chin job at one point, but in the high school, there were tons of nose jobs. Yeah. Uh, so Britney's video came out in 2000. So yeah, definitely informed by that look. Well, but Britney, you think Britney's did? Because this was 95. So yeah, yeah. I think Clueless came out. Yeah. Britney or her, at least her costume designer was, was aware of this. So is there anything else, direction, character development, or um, cinematography that kind of stood well, out for you? Cinematography gets a, perhaps a record count seven, seven montages. Ooh. So we've got a teen shenanigans, snapshots in front of the fountain, preparing for the hang with Christian, fearing that she's clueless, donating things to charity, uh, I think is uh, the last one. All kinds of montages. So good, oh, there's a makeover montage in there, I forgot. So yeah, lots and lots of of montages. They have a walk and talk through the hallway between periods early in the film. And uh, my question was, how do they do it? Okay, so it has to be a steady cam because you can see behind the characters. So if they had dolly tracks, you could see them. And that would explain kind of the, you know, how they move the camera. But how did they get the extras out of the way without running into anybody? Right. So that that to me was uh, interesting work from the camera department. And then I did think, as we were mentioning in the Princess Bride episode, where you can use cutting to make it look like an actor is a skill they don't. It was kind of obvious that Breckenmeyer was not actually doing the skateboarding. And, okay, this is just a lighthearted film. You know, I'm not hating on it, but it was kind of obvious. And maybe that was uh, the director's nod to, we're just going to hang a lampshade on it because uh, we have to do this. And that's not anything against Breck and Meyer because very few people can do that, right? You know, you got your Tony Hawks, your Lance Mountains, your whomevers, but no actor's going to be able to skate like that. So I know they had to do that, but it was just, it, it did kind of stick out to me. Yep. 
So under sound, I have that the Mighty Mighty Boston's played oh, yeah. at the dance. So that was kind of fun to see that Boston-based ska band play. I think ska probably was pretty big in the early 90s. And yeah, so this was probably about the era when they had their uh, Chuck Taylor Converse here, commercials, right? The Boston's. Mm-hmm. All right. Was there any head trauma in Clueless? There were. It, early in the film, Ty takes a shoe to the head. Someone kicks and their shoe flies off and hits her in the head. And then she later hits her head on an overhead light. I think that's at a party. Then when she's frustrated, she bangs her head on the restaurant table many times at the mall. And she, at one point, inexplicably falls down the stairs. Now, it was blocked, so I knew it was coming, but there was still no explanation for why she took a tumble. And then finally, Cher falls off her bed when Christian, she's hanging with Christian, and uh, it's uh, blocked by the bed, but I think we can assume her head hit the ground. Mm-hmm. And I believe we got a stepbrother, stepsister smooch. Smoochy, smoochy, smoochy. So we have Mrs. Mr. Hall and Ms. Geist smooch in the parking lot. Elton grabs a non-consensual peck of Cher outside the liquor store. Not cool, Elton. Cher pecks Christian on the cheek after their hang. Murray kisses Dion when no one is watching. Then, yes, uh, Josh kisses Cher on the stairs and then again at the wedding. Right. Not their wedding, at the teacher's wedding. Yes. Yes. And how about a driving review? What kind of vehicles did yeah. uh, Cher and the gang? Okay, so Cher is driving a white Jeep, and that to me was a tiny bit odd. I could maybe see a young fellow with money driving a Jeep, but I never really got that. I think the convertible rabbit that the Wayne brothers went with in White Chicks, that makes more sense for me. At one point, she drives directly over a fire hydrant. Okay, so that's not how fire hydrants work. I know. Uh, your car would who would be in big trouble. They tend not to... You'd high to, center, wouldn't you? Well, they don't. They win that fight. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Because so, it's not just what's above the... That I, is correct. Because if you've ever seen them like on the back of a truck, it's like if there's this really long pipe and then like the cap at the top is basically the hydrant. Correct. There's a tank underneath. So you would be trying to shear off those bolts, which I don't think you're going to do. The red Ferrari that is parked in front of her house says that they have wealth. And this is, I don't know if Magnum was still on the air, but this is Magnum Vintage Ferrari. So it shows that they have, they have money. Then there's a red BMW Cabrio. And I think that was her friend Dion drives that. And that is actually good casting because it's brand new and it's also inappropriate to give to a high school kid so it shows that the parents are more into parents than 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 safety one of the characters i think it's the elton character drives a 95 chevy camaro z28 so this is a brand new car the z28 is a higher end model of the camaro but that's substantially down market for beverly hills right so that kind of shows he's a bit on the out and then josh played by paul rudd drives a three-year-old honda civic so what a progressive dork. He's just not fitting in in that car. You had mentioned uh, while we were watching that when Christian shows up, he's driving this cute little green 54 Nash Metropolitan convertible, which I guess they were going to say like, oh, this is a quote unquote gay car. I don't know. I really don't know what that car says. It's so 
unique. I don't think anybody's ever seen one on the road. Well, his look was very much inspired by James Dean. So were they calling back to like the classic Hollywood, like 1950s, 60s era vehicle? Uh, I, maybe, but if he's going to go James Dean, he would have a Porsche. I don't know. It was an odd choice. Cute little car. Very quirky. I just, I don't know what he was going to do with that. And lastly, though, uh, I would say great cameo from the Thomas Brothers map book. <laughs> so people. We both freaked out. Of an era, right? Um, this was before you, you had smartphones that had maps on them with GPS. And there was a company called Thomas Brothers. And they made a map book, and each page was a different part of the grid of the street maps. And on the each of the four edges, it would tell you which page to go to if you wanted to go that direction. So if you're driving on a road and it went off the top of the page, it would tell you where to turn. You'd have to flip to those pages. Everyone had one of those in their car. Mm-hmm. And in this case, the, the passenger, which is very often happened, was in charge of navigating. Because if you're driving, it's hip, difficult to flip to different pages. That was so ubiquitous for a brief period of time. Everyone had one. They had them at Costco. It was like, oh, a gift you'd give someone when they got their driver's license. It was just everywhere. And every couple of years, you'd have to like get another one because streets yep, yep, sometimes yep. would advance or change, I guess. I right. don't know why. Because, yeah, you're right. Costco would have them. And every year, sometimes you would buy a new one i can't remember why you would need to right well and they're also different regions they only obviously come yes. with a certain amount of uh, yes and so i had a friend who worked there for a brief bit like an internship he said that the map is actually not geometrically accurate that they would fudge things to give more room for printing so if two streets were too close together to to fit lancashire in there they would nudge it a little so that it you it was more legible. Oh my gosh! Well, because really, if you think about it, that probably was good enough. Like it got you yeah. in the general area. Yeah, you did. You, I don't think anybody was measuring distances on those maps, but they're fantastic. And it was one of those things where I was kind of sad that they were completely put out of business, even by MapQuest. <laughs> Not me. I <laughs> I appreciated. In fact, I remember toying with the idea of getting like the Garmin because I think that was kind of the yeah, first that was the first yeah GPS mappy thing yeah and then it was like this whole no I will wait and then I remember when finally it was on my iPhone maps was oh because then you would have to you'd buy a car and then it would have navigation oh yeah but I was like no I'm gonna wait till it's on my phone uh the first uh in car sat nav as the Europeans call it that I saw was on a Porsche uh, this was in 99 and this is groundbreaking. The guy showed me. And so he put in the, you know, coming back from lunch, put in the coordinates of the office and then purposely missed the turn so that he'd show how it would reroute and, uh, and not insult him. And, but he said it was every two years he had to pay like $3,000 to get updated. I think there were CVDs, CDs, but maybe DVDs with updated data for the satin nav to use. Isn't it crazy? That's wild. Yeah. All right. Shall we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. Okay. This film had a budget of 13.7 million and it made domestically 56.6 million, which is pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. That's like a, a over three X, almost four, maybe not quite four. Yeah. 
And uh, if Heckerling got points, she's doing well. Right. And so worldwide, it made just a little bit more internationally. It really only added another million. So it made fi- almost 58 million. So pretty good. Good job. Uh, it has a 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb. Critics enjoyed it, giving it an 81%. And audiences, yeah. not as much, 76%. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd probably be in this low 70s high 60s maybe if i was giving it a rating yeah yeah maybe a 7 out of 10 on imdb yeah. i think that's fair just about what princess bride was last week an hour and 37 minutes it was pg-13 and it's labeled as a comedy romance and it was a paramount pictures film it won six awards and got 12 nominations alicia won for funniest actress in an american comedy awards and blockbuster entertainment awards she won best female performance at the mtv movie and tv awards uh, she won three other or two other awards at that award show. Amy Heckerling won for best screenplay at the National Society of Film Critic Awards. So it did okay. Like I said, it was playing on Paramount Plus. Let's see what we are going to watch next week. Dirty Rotten Scoundrel. All right. Join us next week when we will be discussing that film. And never forget. Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to DodgeMediaProductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. 